Welcome to the International Civil Society Center's Futures and Innovation Podcast. My name is Nyamburan Bogwa. I'm a communications consultant based in Nairobi and passionate about knowledge sharing and information accessibility. The Center's annual innovation report brings into focus innovations that can benefit international civil society organizations and also shows in turn how these organizations are benefiting society in challenging or complex contemporary contexts. This podcast episode forms part of the 2022 edition on civil society innovation and digital power shift, highlighting promising innovations by civil society organizations in delivering solutions for digital inclusion. In each of these podcast case stories, we really want to lift the lid on these innovations and hear directly from the people at the heart of designing and delivering them. Today, I am joined by Maria Berenga, who is the co-team leader of the Youth and ICT for Development Department in SOS Children's Villages International. She focuses on the strategic implementation of digital solutions at program level to improve lives of children and young people without adequate parental care. And she will be talking to us about the Digital Villages program that has been running in over 100 countries worldwide. Thank you so much to Maria and welcome to the podcast. Hi, hello everybody and thank you for having me here. So my first question for you, Maria, is who is your organization and what do you do? SOS Children's Villages, it's an international organization which was founded in 1949. In fact, it's the world's largest non-governmental organization, which is focused in supporting children or young people who have lost parental care or who are really at risk of losing parental care. Our reach as a global organization is we work like in all regions and we have programs in more than 130 countries and territories. So can you tell us a little bit more about what the big idea around Digital Villages is? Our Digital Village program is based in three pillars. The first pillar is providing access, access to technology for children and young people living in vulnerable situations so they can have access to the information and access to the equipment that allows like this access then like to the information. The second pillar of our program is really focusing on developing skills. So first level is developing the digital skills that they need to have like a proper use of the technology, to know how to use it. And then the second stage is develop more technical skills once they have showed the interest or if they show interest, for example, in pursuing more like an IT career or technical skills about any other topic or any other educational area, once they have learned the basic ICT skills. The third pillar of the program, which for us is a key pillar, without this pillar, this project won't be implemented, which is the one really focusing on cyber safeguarding. So for us, it's not enough to provide access to technology or training on digital skills, but you really need to train the users, children, young people, and their caregivers on how to be protected, which are the risks out there, and especially which are the prevention mechanisms and actions that you can implement in order like, to ensure a proper cyber safeguarding for them. With your answer there, you've given us why you have started this project and the drivers that you're responding to. 
we would like to know more about how did the idea originate and how did you focus on these three pillars? The idea was originated because we were seeing that digital transformation, digital integration without mattering like in which country you are located is a given. It's a given now and will be a given also like in the upcoming years. Our mission as a global organization supporting children in alternative care and in the communities is to provide those children and young people with equal opportunities. So we really want like, to focus on the reducing inequalities. How do we reduce inequalities? No? So providing them with the same opportunities that other children and young people in the surrounding communities have. And one of the basic opportunities, let's say, is the access. Access to training, access to mentors, access to social networks. So we really want to break this isolation and we really want to bring all these opportunities to them. But the reality, of course, is that these opportunities not always happen face to face because of yeah. the distance, because of the geographical barriers, or more recently we have seen with COVID, of course. So then one face-to-face -face is not possible, then you need to rely on technology. Then you really need to use technology as a vehicle to then have access to those opportunities. We really need to provide equal access to reduce inequalities, and technology is one of the biggest or most important tools to achieve this. So what I would like to ask you is how has Digital Villages intervened within the power dynamics in the Philippines and in Brazil, individually as countries, in terms of meaningful access, tools, skills and learning communities, as well as policy? For example, like in countries as the Philippines, the schools have been closed since many months ago. So when COVID came into, into the world, let's say, but in this specific case in Philippines, the schools were one of the first infrastructures and services that were closed. There, it was really clear that we needed to do something because when you have a gap like in the education of children, which is lasting many, many months, this is really going like to influence negatively no? in the further development of the children, in the further job opportunities, access to the job market, the skills development, etc. And that's where, of course, like SOS Philippines, together with other organizations, sat down with the school districts, for example, to see where the different options to continue providing access to education, even if the schools were closed. This is where our project, so Digital Village, played an essential role. Here, mm -hmm. together with the different community actors, as I mentioned, and the different government representatives, clear and a strategy to provide the education access to the communities and also vulnerable communities was set in place. And here, the experience of SOS Philippines in implementing this project in the past had a lot of value. And this is how we entered into this ecosystem. And that's how children and young people, even if the schools were closed, they could continue accessing to the education and then continue developing their skills. So this is how, let's say, this project entered into the game, specifically like when, when the pandemic uh, started. In the case of Brazil, to highlight here also is that how the project, uh, for example, has really changed the perception of young people around why technology is important, but also of the caregivers. So I think they have played a key role in the full transformation of the project and integration of the project, locally led always. And here, the people taking care of the children and young people have really understood why technology is important, 
why the children and young people should have access to it. And this has really been like a game changer, let's say, on the implementation of the project. Perfect. Because, yes, as we see with a lot of organizations, the more impact you have is when you design with the user and you factor in who the community is that you're trying to impact. So in Brazil, you spoke about the need to include the people who are part of the communities and the caregivers that work with the children. And this is a very important factor when implementing a program. So we are also looking at design equity and how that has been factored in and achieved. Would you talk a little bit more about how Digital Villages has been designed for user communities and not just at user communities? You raised a very important point, which is the equity and also design with the user, let's say, or with the last user. So even if I mentioned in the past or previously that Digital Village is a global program, we say that it's a global program because it has a global reach and, of course, because we are implementing a replicable model. A solution that can be replicated and scaled many different contexts, regions, countries, etc. But on how specifically the project is going to be implemented, on which are like the concrete activities that the project is going to handle, for example, or which is going to be the thematic focus or the area, these are things that the different country offices they really shape and define locally. And when I say locally, it means that they sat down with the users of the Digital Village program, so children, young people, and the caregivers, and they see with them what is the best use that we could give to the technology, also which is the thematic area that we could address. Are we talking about better access of education? Are we talking, for example, about children's rights? Are we talking about advocacy action? This will differ a lot from country to country, and this will really depend on the need this will really depend on the problem that we are trying to solve. And this is how we really design, of course, with the users. And it's not we, in fact, it's that the country offices <laughs> design it directly with the users. And then, of course, typical things that we do, as many other organizations, is a constant monitoring and surveys and interviews with the users of the solution uh, to be able to see, of course, if we, we should redirect something, implement some yeah. corrective actions to have better impact. Excellent. So in terms of the principles for digital development by the Digital Impact Alliance, there are nine principles that are underlined. And we've talked about designing with the user, understanding the existing ecosystems, and being data-driven as you're speaking about gathering responses, surveys with the users, etc. And so for a lot of the nine principles, this program has addressed them. I wanted to zone in on one in particular in terms of building for scale and sustainability. Do you have a road plan and a roadmap for this? Do you foresee any challenges that may hinder this progress? Is it all running very smoothly? Please let us know. The design for a scale is as explained, no? that uh, what we provide like from global level are uh, general frameworks, guidelines, pillars, and tools that can be really like, implemented in many, many, many countries worldwide. As I said, like we work in 130 countries and territories, so projects that we design aim to be implemented as, as many countries as possible. Now, regarding on the sustainability aspect, for us, that's a very critical and important point in our organization, because access to technology for us should not be only a project. 
So should not be something that has a starting date and an end date. And then yes, of you course. hand over. For us, it should be what we call a service. It should be something as basic or as integrated, let's say, in the organization, which per nature, let's say, all country offices should, or in an ideal situation, should have the capacity and the financial support, etc., to dedicate a percentage of their structural budget in providing access to technology and support to develop digital skills to all program participants. And this is what we aim to develop and to strengthen in the upcoming year, specifically where we really try to make a structural change in the organization and we really try to see how we can really like integrate it as a service that SOS provides and not an independent project because for us access to technology is something which is key and crucial for the program participants. Absolutely. It's crucial for the development of everybody in the world as we see it with Corona and the change in working from home. Technology has become much more of a core factor into employability and sustainability of somebody's personhood. If I could add uh, something, a key component for sustainability, it's also the partnerships. And when we talk about partnerships, we talk, of course, about public private partnerships. The governments in the countries are a key actor that need to take responsibility and accountability in the provision of access to internet and technology to all citizens. Of course, like in the upcoming years, it's not an immediate thing, it's clear, but it's something that is really being improved in the, when we look back at five years ago, the situation has completely changed. It does yes. not matter how strong the NGOs uh, we want to push for this but if basic IT infrastructure is not provided by the government together like with the private companies of course so for example internet access then it does not matter how strong we want to push for it that then it won't be possible we would need to wait Absolutely. And as you were saying, in terms of services to be delivered to people, governments should be delivering water, basic housing, exactly. education. And so digital skills and access to infrastructure should be considered an important factor. Absolutely. Maria, could you please tell us about the impact and the influence that the digital villages is having on a global level, but also on the specific country level that we have seen with Philippines and Brazil? The most immediate outcome, of course, that we are looking in the project is that children and young people have access to technology. To them, for example, support the education development path through this technology. We really focus on the access to the technology and the development of the digital skills, not only for education purposes, but also for a general like information sharing purposes. And for example, in the specific case of Brazil, that I would like to share, I think that it's quite relevant to hear one of the young people within the program where he said, for example, in this specific example, technology has opened his mind to an outside world that was unknown for him. This has a risk also, which we cannot forget. And that's why we really need, again, to highlight on the importance on cyber safeguarding, awareness on what is out there, what is the quality of information that they can access, how to address this information that they reach, etc. 
But I think that the important thing is, is open up no, to the an external world that was not existing for this person. And then he, for example, changed completely like his career path in this specific example, because he realized that, that could have access to other training opportunities that he did not have before. And that's a concrete impact or result, let's say immediate result that the project is having. Also, for example, one uh, young uh, woman in the Philippines, she also stated that uh, she was not even considering to do an IT career or an engineering career uh, before having access to the technology because for her was not even in her mind, you know? So it's not only that you do not have access to the training or you do not have access to the education materials to follow the path that you want. Uh, Here we are talking even like one step before which is to open up and see which are the opportunities out there for you. And this, I think, that is one of the biggest uh, results that we are in numbers, talking about numbers, that we are like seeing in the project. It must be very satisfying to see the direct impact of the project, especially in terms of showing people the opportunities that they have, because it goes beyond now what they have seen for themselves and allows them to dream even further than they might have before. Exactly. How would you describe the project's value in terms of the wider public and the data and insights that you are feeding back into the systems, either in individual countries or on a global level? For instance, is it influencing policy or culture around the use of data or digital technology? Yeah, I think that in this specific project, it's not per se that we are gathering data to then influence policies at a higher level, at least right now. But what we are trying a lot is to mapping, for example, the current access that vulnerable populations have to technology. And with that data, absolutely, then we can further advocate for bigger access to it. Also, we can, for example, what we are really trying to do now is really analyze the qualitative advantage that the integration of technology has for children and young people in our target group. And this is quite difficult normally to show in this kind of projects, of course, but what we are trying to see and, and, and see if we can show at some point is, okay, what would have happened or how this would have impact negatively quality-wise, mm-hmm. on the development, on the education, on X, Y, Z factors of children and young people if we would have not given access to technology. And this is what right. we are really trying to do right now because we really believe that trying to show relatively because there are many other factors that enter into the game when you are analyzing this quality aspect. But we are really trying to show this qualitative advantage of integrating technology and how, for example, dropout rates of one country have decreased, or in our case, if one program location have decreased or have not increased despite the closure of schools, thanks to the access to the technology. So I won't say that we are using it as to summarize. I would say that we are not using it to right now, still yet, let's say to push for policy changes, but at least at our level, we are really trying to use it for changing of investments to bring more partners on board and to really assess how is the current situation. Excellent. You've actually led into my next question with this answer. What is next for this project or specifically this program in terms of the future? You've touched on gathering qualitative data to influence and to kind of map how children and young people are going through their education. Are there any other aims for the project? So, of course, number one, we look for a scale. That's clear. 
the amount of count and program locations that constantly want to work with us, with international office in this case, to look for ways on integrating digital village. And even the ones that have already digital village, for example, the case of Philippines, it's a very concrete one, no? Because we are now talking more about these two countries, but there are many other examples. So with Philippines, for example, they really have provided access to children and young people from one of our programs, which is really alternative care. But now, of course, there is an extra step, which is, uh, okay, how we can stronger impact or have a stronger impact in the wider community? How we can then provide also like this access, but a much more bigger scale to the wider community? And this is what they are trying to reach now in the years or in the months that are now following Number one, I would say scale, that's clear. Number two, again, very important for us, would be a reinforcement on the cyber safeguarding aspect. We are in processes of developing a blended course for cyber safeguarding that we would like to translate in many various languages and then be able to provide it to the different countries so they can implement it. When I talk about blended commits between face-to-face activities, and then, of course, supported by e-learning. So this is, of course, one of the second points. And then the third point really related with this two is continue developing partnerships. Partnerships at local level, partnerships at international level. We really want to partner with other companies, NGOs, etc., who are looking for the same objective than us and where we can work together then to really provide this access at bigger scale and then reach ideally the 130 countries. This is a very good place to be. And I think your three points for the future of the program are very promising. So hopefully this will all work out, especially with the blended learning. And so Maria, my final question for you is, what are your main takeaways for other organizations based on this experiences? What can other civil society organizations learn from you? That's a very interesting question, I must say. (laughs) But the first thing, I don't know if it's to learn from us, uh, but at least learn together, let's say. It's really like, let's work together through common goals. Providing access to technology, digital skills, it's something that is key, something essential. We cannot achieve it alone. We should not compete on this area. And I think that all civil society organizations are on the same direction of what I am saying. So let's make a lobby group together to really talk to governments, to talk to corporates, to talk to local agents, etc., to really push for this access to technology and to really highlight how important it is, no matter from where do you come, to provide access, to provide skills, and especially to also prevent about the risks that are out there and work together in this direction, let's say. I love the idea of lobbying together to approach governments across the world. This is a very key factor that needs to be addressed. But Maria, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And we hope this has been a learning experience for everybody in the audience. Thank you very much. And thanks to you for providing us with this opportunity. You can find links to more information and resources on both this innovative work and the Center's 2022 Civil Society Innovation and Digital Power Shift Report in the podcast description. We would like to thank the Center's innovation partner, TechSoup, for kindly supporting this report. 
We would also like to thank the Cloudera and Ford Foundations for their support in making this project happen. And thanks as always to the podcast producer, Julia Passos. We couldn't do these episodes without you.